Thank you, Pastor Bob and praise team. And uh, I love that song, our one defense. We have one defense, and it's Christ Jesus. And aren't you glad for that defense, though? That seems to be enough. And uh, a lot of things going on in our church. We're concluding not a fan, and we're, we'll begin in two weeks. Um, on in the first Sunday of March, we're going to begin a series called Look Again, which is a Lent series. And if you've been part of a small group for not a fan, maybe you want to continue uh, in, in a small group beginning in the next series. We're trying to form those now. I know there's several people that are interested in that. Contact the church office. We'll make sure that we uh, connect you to a small group of some type so that you can uh, continue to talk about these things. I think it's important that we talk about these things. And I, I got to tell you, I've had some of the best discussions on this Not A Fam, Fan series of any, any series we've ever been in on our Wednesday nights and on my Sunday night small group. It's just been a great time of talking about uh, God's Word. And I hope if you're interested, please contact me, contact one of our staff pastors, contact the office, and we'll make sure that, that we plug you in. A lot going on in the church, a lot of babies down at Nationwide, and, and I, even Dick Thomas has, has not been feeling well, so we're praying for Dick as well. We're, we're praying for our kids who are with Mary Gingry, our kids and Mary Gingry. Uh, Mary has joined the youth group, and, uh, and so uh, uh, Josh is now responsible for Mary, and he's got her somewhere in Illinois, and they're at uh, Love Packages, and so remember them as they, they come back. I think we have close to 25 kids, so 25 people coming back today, so pray for them as they're driving back. You know, there's things you're um, interested in, and there's things you're invested in. You understand the distinction? There's, there's things that you're really interested in, and then there's things that you invest yourself in. Uh, I, I think, in, when I think of this, I think of sports. Um, I, I go to a lot of games. I try to, as much as I can, see our kids play and the sporting events they play in. And, and so I'll go. I, I think a couple weeks ago I was at Colson and Baylor's game uh, up in somewhere, Mechanicsburg or somewhere. I went and watched some guys play. And I, I try to get as many games as I can. And, and I'm interested in them games. I saw Seth play not too long ago. I'm interested in those games. But I'm invested in the games that Spencer plays in. <laughs> You know, there's a difference between being interested and invested. And one, one noticeable difference is I notice the refs are a lot worse in the games my son's playing in than the games that I'm watching. You know, I watch the other parents and they're talking about calls they're missing. And I'm like, well, I don't see that as a big deal. But when it's your kid, you're invested. There's things that we're interested in and there's things that we're invested in. That there's hobbies and there's jobs. There's, there, there's, there's passing interest and there's commitments. There's, there's dating relationships and marriage relationships. There's things we're interested in and things we're invested in, committed to. Martina Navratilova, who was the tennis player in the 70s and the 80s, says, the difference between involvement and commitment is like ham and eggs. The chicken is involved, the pig is committed. <laughs> Jesus calls us to be pigs. <laughs> he calls us to be committed. And there is. There's a difference between interested and involved. There's a difference between an interested and committed. And as we've been going through this series, fan or follower, I believe the essential question is, are you interested in Jesus or are you committed to Jesus? Is it something that interests you? Is it something that you want to be part of your life or do you want to give your life to? 
Are you interested or are you invested? See, Jesus is not seeking our attention. He's asking for our lives. And so if somehow in your mind you've thought, well, you know, I need to pay attention to Jesus and, and Jesus wants me to be aware of him. No, Jesus wants every part of your life. And the truth is, if we were honest, this is a challenging call. And as we went through this series, I, I hope that, that you have been challenged by what Kyle has written in his book, what we've talked about on Sunday mornings, what you've talked about in your small groups. I hope you have been challenged to seek something deeper. Personally, I believe all of us, this pastor included, maybe this pastor particularly, God is continually calling me deeper in my commitment with him. And every day it seems like I learn something new or bigger and God calls me even deeper into relationship with him. Amen. Brother Bob, you've served God long. Is, that, is, that the, is, that, is, that, is it ever going to stop? <laughs> and so for some of us, it's not that we've been a fan, but, but Jesus wants us to be even more in love with him and be drawn even more into that relationship, deeper into that relationship with him. And so we've been asking, are you a fan or are you a follower? And, and we, we've been looking at this, and I, I think a lot of us have been challenged. Over and over in the Gospels, Jesus makes these dramatic, drastic, difficult calls to people. He calls his disciples and he calls them to leave everything and to follow him. And, and it's this, this, this deep commitment that he calls people to. And you see it particularly with the disciples, you Matthew, Matthew and Peter, and you see it with John, and, and you see it with James. You see these disciples called out of their life. And you see it with Saul. So Saul is this persecutor of the church. Saul is this leader in the Jewish religion. Saul is a person of importance within his society. And Jesus calls him to leave all of that behind and follow him. You know the story, Saul is going to Damascus and he's going to arrest and persecute more Christians and he's faced with this blinding light and so he's blinded and he goes to Damascus and he's waiting to hear and God calls for Ananias to go talk to Paul and pray with Saul. And he says to Ananias, I will show him, I will show Paul how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. That kind of blows my mind. He doesn't say, I'm going I'm to send you to, to Saul slash Paul and show him how good it's going to be to follow me. I'm not going to show him how much it's going to be worth to follow me. I'm not going to show him the benefits of being a believer. I'm not going to show him how it's a better lifestyle than he's currently in. I want you to go to Saul, and I want him to be aware before he begins this apostleship road 
to understand it's going to cost him a lot. And it does. Saul is converted, and Saul has money. He has influence. Saul has friends. So Saul, within his society, Saul is safe. You can assume that he's got a house, and he's got friends, and he's got plans, and he's got aspirations, and he's got reputation, and everything's going well, and people like to spend time with him and hang out with him, and everything's hunky-dory. That's a Greek word for really good. But he's going to suffer. And Saul goes from this person of reputation and position and financial well-being, of safety, to become this wandering missionary where he learns to, to be content when he has a lot and he learns to be content when he doesn't have much. He, he, he's beaten, he, he's stoned within an inch of his life. As a matter of fact, they think he's dead, he's shipwrecked, he has all these things happen to him. He becomes this wanderer for Jesus. His reputation is shot. And when you think about it, Paul doesn't even have a great reputation at times with Christians. <laughs> Because he's still got that little thing in his past. Oh, remember, you killed us at one time. Can he be trusted? Is he teaching the same gospel? He loses almost everything. Now, the Bible's not clear, but, but, but I, think, I think you can assume. <laughs> Friendships, family, financial situation... All these things that oftentimes we, we you know, we saying he's my one defense, but, but if we were honest, oftentimes we consider our one defense, our family, our friends, our finances, all these things that Paul gave up. You know, if nothing else, I have my family. If nothing else, I have my 401k. Paul gave them all up. I got to show him what he has to suffer for my name's sake. I'm not calling Paul to be interested in me. I'm calling Paul to invest his life in me. I'm not calling Paul to be a fan, but a follower. And we get to Philippians 3, and this is most likely, you know, there's, there's always debates on when these letters are written, but, but most likely, most historians believe this is written when Paul is in prison in, in Rome. And so he, he suffered, he's given up, he's given up his freedom, and, and he's in house arrest in Rome, and he's, he writes most of these letters. In Philippians 3, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put uh, no confidence in the flesh, though I myself might have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, 
As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. (laughs) And rubbish isn't strong enough of a word, folks, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his su- and his sufferings becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. All those things that, that Paul had held so dear that had been so important to him. He had let go of to follow Jesus. Now, now, we've all met people like that, right? You ever met people like that? I've met people like that. I'll, I'll never forget, I, I may have talked about him in the past. We, we went and we built a church in, in Guatemala. And so we go down there and, and, and we, you know, they, they build these chapels and we build it right on top of a, an existing church. You know, we, we put the frame and the roof and, and so there was an existing church. It was small, it wasn't big enough. And it was there I met Pastor Pedro. Uh, one of the first times I met Pastor Pedro, I was sick, as you sometimes get when you go to Central America. <laughs> and I was laying in the church, as pastors sometimes do. You know, we just lay in the church. Everybody's working, I'm laying in the church. And I look over, and there's another guy laying in the church, and it's Pastor Pedro. He had stepped in a hole and hurt his new knee. So both pastors were laying in the church wounded while everybody else worked. Praise the Lord. So I was talking to, to Manny and Cindy Botris, who were the missionaries we were working with, and asked, you know, tell, tell us about this church. And, and this church, Pastor Pedro, had convinced his, his family to buy the land. And then he went and got the material in his own house, and he tore his house down and rebuilt it using that material for the church. Who would do that? And he took his family, his his kids, and his wife, and they found a rental home. And they lived in a rental home while the very building that they had lived in became the church. That is the difference between interested and invested. That is the difference between fan and follower. See, following Jesus means letting go. You guys do this with your hands? <laughs> Just letting go. Not mine. To, to follow Jesus, to, to really follow Jesus, and this isn't easy, I understand, but it's true. To really follow Jesus, we have to let go of our reputation. It's less important what people think about me than Jesus thinks about me. Paul let go of reputation. Pedro let go of reputation. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to let go of our reputation and be more concerned with whether we make God happy than people happy. Got to let go of personal plans. 
That's hard, isn't it? Everyone in this room has personal plans. You have goals. You have things you want to accomplish in your life and in the lives of your family. And there's nothing wrong with setting goals. But when my goals are in opposition to God's plans in my life, I've got to let go of my goals and my plans. Because at the end of it, it's not my will, but His will. Got to let go of personal comfort. Ooh, that's a hard one. We like comfortable. Everybody in this room likes comfortable. Did anyone sleep on a bed of nails last night? Raise your hand, okay? We like comfortable. I like comfortable. And, and, and the truth is, you know, when you hear these things, our God's not just the comfort taker. What's the Bible say? The Holy Spirit's the comforter, right? But when our comfort is in opposition to God's will in our life, God's will trumps our personal comfort. We have to let go of that. We have to let go at times with relationships. Sometimes God calls us to let go of relationships that are keeping us from growing into the Christian, into the follower he wants us to be. And folks, when I say that, that's not just outside the church. Sometimes it's in the church. And, and, and that hurts me to say that. But there's times that there are relationships because of gossip and because of bitterness and because of all these other things that keeps us become, from becoming the follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're being convicted of, by the Holy Spirit of something in your life, a relationship that's keeping you from growing as God wants you to grow, you best let that relationship go. Got to let go of our past. Got to let go of our present and our future. Some of you, it's possible that you're holding on to something in the past that you've just got to let go of. You know how I see this most? Somebody's hurt you, and you just can't let it go. And, and, And the truth is that the person's moved past it that hurt you, Long ago, they don't even think about it. (laughs) And it's holding you hostage. It's holding you for ransom. And it's keeping you because of this unforgiving spirit, because because you're still holding this grudge, because this bitterness is still deep down. It's keeping you from becoming the follower that Jesus wants you to be. And it's doing nothing but harm to you. Sometimes our past can hold us captive. Sometimes it's our present that we we don't want to give up our present to God or our future. We we want to control that. But to be followers, we've got to let go. Maybe it's your abilities, your gifts, your talents. Maybe it's your finances. Now, you can have everything else, but you can't have any part of my checkbook. Maybe it's your time. Ultimately, it's your will. God wants us, if we're going to be followers, and the longer I serve him, the more essential this becomes. 
it all comes to a garden. <laughs> a garden where we say, not my will, but your will. You know, at the first garden, they said, not your will, our will. But at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but your will. And folks, we all live in the garden <laughs> where Jesus is calling us, where God is calling us. The Holy Spirit is urging us to get to this point with whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whatever we're struggling with, that we get to the point. And, and this is the heart of holiness. This is the heart of our message that we're able to say, okay, God, not my will, but your will. What, whatever you want in the circumstance. My reputation, my relationships, my past, my present, my future, my finances, my times, my abilities, what, what I desire, that's not more important than your will. What I want is what you want. See, following Jesus means giving our all. But the good news is, it's to gain his all. <laughs> that, that as we give up, we're really not giving up anything, but we're only gaining all of him. That, that he invites us to, as followers, just to give it all away with the realization as we give it all away to him, we gain all of him back. And all of him... <laughs> is better than anything you give up. Matthew 13, 44 through 46 says, The kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus' teaching, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. <laughs> it's kind of a tricky thing, okay? And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. <laughs> Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In other words, followers realize that all these things that we chase after aren't anything. They pale in comparison to the kingdom, to being followers of Jesus. And we realize even though it looks like loss and even though it looks like we're giving something up, in the end we're gaining everything. And, 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 and the call that God has on us is worth giving our very lives for. Jim Elliott, the, 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 the great missionary, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. <laughs> Followers understand that. You know, there's a great reversal, though, in this, in this Matthew 13 passage that, that you, can, you, can, you can reject this if you want, but, 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 but to me, I, I think it bears true. It's consistent with Scripture. And in Matthew 13 and the other parables in Matthew 13 where a man is, is referenced, where a man is doing something, it's always a reference to God. So God is sowing the seeds. God is the man in the parable. And in the parable I just read, we see ourselves as the man. But the great reversal is that God plays both roles. That when you get to Matthew 13, it is God that has given it all because you are the pearl of great price. It is God who has found you and hidden you and given everything away because you're worth it. 
at the end of our seeking, we find that he has been pursuing us. God calls us to be followers, but I want you to know that he's already following you. (laughs) He's already seeking you. This is is a bad phrase, but he's stalking you. (laughs) I can remember in college, there was the beginning of Christian rock. Anybody ever hear of the Daniel Amos band? Okay, that shows how old I am. But they had a song called The Hound of Heaven. (laughs) You have a hound in heaven (laughs) that is seeking you, stalking you, pursuing you, giving everything he has for you. Go ahead and play the video, Dave. How do you conclude this series? I've struggled with the day, and I've struggled with what, how we, we finish this. To, to me, this has been challenging. I, I, don't, I don't know about you folks, but this has been challenging. And as I think about being challenged in my faith, I would say this. To be challenged in your faith is not a, a symptom of a shallow faith. I don't believe that. I believe all of us, from time to time, are challenged. I think to be challenged is a sign that we're listening, that, that somehow God has gained our attention. And, and just because there's an urge or there's a feeling or there's, you know, am I, am, I, am I in a good state, God? Even if we're asking those questions, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong, but it may mean that the Spirit's speaking to us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, Sharper than a double, any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, we, we all buy perishable goods, right? You, you buy milk and it has a date on it. I don't know about you, but I will not drink milk one day past that day. I don't care what anybody said. It starts to taste bad to me, Right? The Bible, the Word of God, this passage is not a perishable good. Meaning that it doesn't just apply to us at parts of our life, but it applies to us throughout our life. If we are followers of Jesus, His Word will always cut deep. Conviction, draw, in the heart of a believer, is good. It means that God is speaking. God provides discipline for those he loves. And so I've been challenged by this. And and I realize in my life, I, I don't believe that I will ever grow past being challenged and, and, and needing to grow in my faith. Matter of fact, I would say, if, if you've not been challenged, if your faith's not grown, I, I'm more concerned for you than people that are being challenged. But are you a follower? When, when I was in law school, we, we, we did a property law class. And you ever heard of the phrase, livery of season, Steve? It's an old old property term. And uh, in the past, 
when, when, when you would convey a piece of property, and you, know, I don't, <laughs> you don't do this anymore, but it'd be, they called it the livery of season. And, and, the, and the season was, was in essence just a piece of the property, a rock or a twig. And so you'd buy a piece of property, you'd sign the contracts, and, and they'd have that rock, and they would, they would hand you that rock as a physical sign that we're transferring the property. I mean, it, 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 was a, it was a consummation of the contract. It was, it was a piece of consideration for the contract. I think sometimes in our faith, there needs to be a livery of season. <laughs> there, there needs to be a physical consideration of our faith. There needs to be something physically done. It's important. See, see, our faith becomes so centered in our mind. We, we think about it, we pray about it. We, we, most of us pray, maybe our lips move, but it's just thoughts that's going through our mind. And so faith sometimes becomes just this way we think. Anybody else struggle with that? <laughs> see, see, I think this, this call, this series, is a call of livery of season. <laughs> It's a call to put physical to our following. I'm reminded as I talk about this of Bill Bright. Bill Bright and Yvonne Bright. Bill Bright is Campus Crusade, Jesus Film. Bill Bright is the greatest missionary who ever lived. Millions of people have come to faith because of Bill Bright. We know Billy Graham but Billy, Bill Bright is the missionary of the 20th century. Literally millions of people have come to faith because of Bill Bright. Bill Bright and Yvonne, very early in their ministry, got a blank sheet of paper and they signed it. It was their contract with God. You know, whatever you want to put on this page, God, we will do. It was a physical consideration. It was a livery of season. In 1998, you know, I committed my life to God. And, 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 and this was a huge step from fan to follower to me. And, and in that process, God called me into the ministry. And I talked to my senior pastor, but, but, but the physical thing, the livery of season, the delivery of a rock or a twig occurred on a conversation with Terry on, my way, on our way to my parents for Thanksgiving dinner about a call in my life. Let me tell you what, it was done with fear. <laughs> uh, she didn't marry a pastor, she married a lawyer. And as I'm driving down the road, it was kind of hard to say, you know, I know we've got two kids under six years old. <laughs> I know we have a mortgage. I don't know how we're going to do it. I know it means I may have to go back to school. <laughs> and I'm like 400 years old. <laughs> but God's called me into the ministry. Livery of season. Physical things that confirm what God's doing. Altars can be that. I think altars are part of that. That, that for some, there is that significant point where you step up and step in faith and you take a, a walk to the altar. 
And, and by doing that, you're, you're showing those around you. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's kids, maybe that, that this is serious, this, this is real, and you're taking physical steps to confirm this mental, this emotional, this, this psychological call, the spiritual call. In the past, I've done all sorts of different things. And we, we've, we've placed, I don't know if we've done it here, but we've placed crosses in front of churches and, and people have come and signed crosses. We put candles and people put fingerprints on candles. You know, we've received communion. There's all sorts of ways that we've done this, that I've done this. And, and, and with a physical action to confirm a mental ascent. And so this morning I thought, well, let's, let's give them all contracts Let's give them blank sheets of paper. Let's put something up here for people to sign. But, but then, I'm just aware that there's a lot of peer pressure in that. Right? Yes. Nothing wrong with those things, and we'll probably do some of those things in, in the future. But, but today, I just felt checked that, that I don't want somebody coming up and signing a piece of paper, or I don't want somebody coming up and signing a cross, or I don't want somebody standing forward or raising their hand or doing anything because their row did it but I want it to come from the heart. And so as I thought about that, I, I thought, you know, our, our, our altars are always open. And in a few minutes, Amy's going to come and lead us in. I have decided to follow Jesus. And I want you to know, you can always come and pray. You can come and start playing now if you want, Amy, or however we're doing that. I mean, our altars are always available. But, but I think the livery of season for this message, for this series, is not necessarily in here, but out there. That, that it's something different, that, that, that God's going to call you to take some physical step, a physical confirmation of what you have decided in your mind. Maybe it's... Um, Maybe you're going to have to forgive somebody. And to move from fan to follower, you're going to have to make a phone call or you're going to have to write a letter or you're going to have to write a card or you're going to have to reach out and you're going to have to say, listen, I'm not going to hold on to my past anymore. I'm not going to hold on to this. And I want you to know you're forgiven. It's, it's what's done is done and you're forgiven and it's older, over and there's no grudge here and there's no bitterness here. Maybe you're going to have to commit to serve, to give, to be, to read in your Bible. And I think the call is this, that, that it can't just be, okay, in my mind, I'm going to. But you're going to find somebody outside this room and you're going to say, listen, I want to be a follower, not a fan. And here's what I've kind of decided. And I want you to hold me accountable to this. See, fans, fans in their mind, fans in their mind make all sorts of commitments. Followers follow through. It's not, a, it's not just in the emotion of the moment, but, but, but in their life, there is change. And this is a life-changing series. Stand with me, if you will.
fan or follower. We're, we're going to sing, and um, like I said, our, always, our, our altars are always available. Uh, maybe you just want to raise your hand if, if you're feeling led to do so, but only do it if you're led to do so. You know, there's nobody's going to be watching. Matter of fact, I, I think we probably know this. If you want to close your eyes while you're singing it, you probably can. And I'm going to close this in prayer in just a minute, but Amy, go ahead and lead us. There is no God like our God. There is no one like you in your righteousness and your holiness and your creative nature. All creation screams praises to you and you forever only are worthy. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God in his love. And although on our own, we seem to be very meaningless, not to have a lot of merit. Yet when you see us, you love us. And in your great love and value for us, you've sent your one and only son to die in our place. So in a way, Lord, it's false humility to say we're worthless because you are the one who determines worth. You are the creator God and you say we matter. And because you say we matter, we do. We are the pearl of great price. We are the treasure found in a field. And you've given it all for us. Lord, I confess that oftentimes I've heard this so often that it begins to lose meaning. Oh, that's right. Jesus died for me. And so I accept the benefits and I rejoice in the benefits and I give you my life and sometimes I take it back. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, not to be a fan, but a follower. Help me, like Paul, to accept the ideal that, that I might have to suffer to follow you. It's all not just roses and, and, and good times, but Lord, sometimes, sometimes you call us to hardship, you call us to difficulty, you call us to gardens where we have to say, not our will, but your will. And to be followers, to be more than fans, we have to accept the gardens. We have to accept our personal crosses. Now, Lord, I'm thankful that in doing this, I don't lose anything, but I gain what matters. Give us fresh eyes. Give us a fresh awareness of your kingdom. Lord, may this church truly be a place where ordinary people are following Jesus where it's not a slogan on the wall, 
a cute phrase, a comfortable vision. But Lord, may we see that the following aspect of that takes everything. We may be ordinary, but the following is extraordinary. So Lord, we trust you. We love you. And Lord, I pray that um, as your spirit has spoken throughout this series, that we'll find a way to confirm it. Not, Not just in an emotional moment with the right song and the right setting, surrounded by people we love and who love us. But Lord, as we leave this place, may we be willing to be followers for you outside these walls. Lord, may we see things for how they are. We we live in a world where the majority of people aren't seeking and don't even care. And Lord, it'd be easy for us just to say, well, forget them. We'll just worry about those who do care. But somehow that seems to miss the mission. That, That you're calling us to be Jesus Christ to give of ourselves that that we're not here to judge but to save. So Lord, help us. Open our eyes. May, May we be truly born again to see that our God is active and moving and challenging and reaching and loving even the most unlovable. Now Lord, I'm thankful I'm thankful for the discipline you put on my life. I'm thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're not done with this this pastor. That, Lord, you still want me to grow and learn and, and grow more into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, I want you to know that, that I'm committed to you and your call. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do. Help us, Lord, to to live in a way where we let go of our past and we strive ever more to join in the sufferings of Christ so that somehow we might inherit his resurrection. Now be with those who kneel at these altars and and those who kneel in these pews, Lord. May you bless them and keep them. and, And Lord, may they sense your presence so real in their life. And as we leave this place, Lord, make us aware of the great opportunity to do good things so that people can see what we do and give glory to you in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, folks.